0: Hey guys we're so excited to share this message with you on the center set podcast my name is ethan and i lead worship here at center set we'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community text center set to seven seven nine seven seven 77 to download good morning center set anyone excited for church today for those of you who are new, my name is ali my beautiful wife and i we started center set three years ago with a simple dream we wanted to create a church where you could passionately and boldly follow Jesus. And this is that kind of community. We are a loud church. This tribe has a vibe. But we also wanted to create a place, listen, where you can belong before you believe. Where you can bring your doubts. A church where we can invite our non-Christian friends. So if you're new to church, you've never been welcome. You're going to feel challenged. You're going to feel encouraged and inspired. And we are concluding a collection of talks through the book of First Peter. Probably a journal called Trials, through to triumph. And it's just really this idea, this theme that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks that life is not about conquering sometimes. It's often about enduring. I'm gonna read from 1 Peter chapter 5, follow along with me. Starting at verse 8 Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He ain't a real lion, he's a poser. Like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, someone say a little while, write that in the chat window this morning, Himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I want to preach for the next 30 minutes around this idea a little while longer. A little while longer. Would you type that in the chat window? Would you holler back? If you're watching from your couch, let your spouse, let your friends hear you say this a little while longer. Let's pray. God, would you bless this mess in Jesus name? And everybody said, Amen. Anybody ever do a road trip? Those of you watching at home, on YouTube, anybody ever do a road trip? And I, I remember I've been a dad now for five years. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and this last summer I feel like I got my dad card. Why? Because for the very first time, I took my kids on a road trip. And we didn't even go that far. It was only a two-hour road trip. But, man, it brought back so many memories of when I was a, a 10-year-old kid, an 8-year-old kid, right, getting in the back of my dad's station wagon and we'd drive to Tahoe, we'd drive to L.A. My parents were cheap. We would drive to San Diego, pray for us. It was difficult. And it's crazy. I know a lot of people in our community don't have kids, but let me tell you, when you're a parent going on a road trip, it is a very, very different experience than when you're a kid. When you're a kid, it's it's a slow day. You're like, when is this day going to be over? But when you're a parent, man, you have a different perspective. Your kids are growing up too fast. Like, slow down. You take the scenic route because you want to spend as much time with your kids as possible. When, When you're a kid, it's like this is the longest day of your life. I remember being a kid sitting in the back of my dad's station wagon. I felt cramped. I felt pressured. I felt hungry. I felt claustrophobic. I was sitting next to my smelly, ugly sister who I didn't want to be with. Imagine, I can't even handle her for 15 minutes. And I got to sit next to her for five hours. And I remember every time we'd be on a road trip, I'm like, Dad, are we there yet? How much longer? And my dad would always look back in the rearview mirror, and he'd say this phrase, a little while longer. A little while longer. You said it, I said it, my kids said it on this road trip a little while longer. and you kids man, you, you millennials, you did not know what we had to suffer through when we were little kids. We didn't have GPS systems. We pull out your phone and type in the address and it tells you before you even leave uh, you'll be there in approximately four hours and 15 minutes. Four hours into a road trip, are we there yet? He'd say a little while longer. No matter when I asked him, he would say the exact same thing. And listen, as a kid, when you hear this phrase, a little while longer, it felt like forever, forever. And it's crazy because I went on a road trip this time with my kids for the very first time. And I had a totally different experience. It was a day of joy. It was a day I, was, I couldn't wait to. I, I took the scenic route on purpose. Why? Because it's not about the destination. I just want to be with my kids. I love them. I had the audiobook. I had the snacks planned. I even had a time where we're going to stop and reflect and talk about the trip. Even though my two-year-old can't talk, we're going to talk and reflect because I'm so excited about this road trip. And yes, 20 minutes in my road trip, my kids are like, Dad, are we there yet? And I did what my dad did. Looked in the rearview mirror and said, a little while longer. Can I tell you, that is exactly what the faith journey is like that when you are following Jesus you're getting into his SUV you're getting into a road trip with God and he's the driver and you and I are the kids in the back seat and we're following we're being led by him he's leading us to a spiritual destination and often life is hard our marriage is hard our finances are hard school is hard and we're like when is this going to be over are we there yet and God as a loving father who just wants to be with his kids says the same phrase that we tell our kids A little while longer I don't know where you're watching from we're a church based in San Jose and we have people from watching from all over Sacramento Fremont people in Florida people in New York all over it's crazy but no matter where you are watching from no matter where you are whether in San Jose or only online everybody's waiting for something We all are. You're waiting to finish school. You're waiting to get a job. You're waiting to get your degree. You're waiting to get married. You're waiting to have kids. You're waiting for a job promotion. You're waiting to buy a house. Maybe buy a car. Some of you are waiting on a miracle. A breakthrough. Maybe you're waiting for your addiction to break. Maybe some of you are waiting for that loved one in your life to finally accept Christ. Some of you are waiting for that one person in your life that did accept Christ. And they got hurt and they left the church. And you're waiting for them to come home everybody's waiting for something. And you gotta learn on this spiritual journey where you're not in the driver's seat. And you gotta learn, will you enjoy the journey? Will you learn to tame your spirit and have fun in the car because it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. I know it's hard. I know you feel cramped. I know you feel claustrophobic. I know you're suffering. I know life is not often easy and you want to quit the faith. You want Jesus to pull over so you can get out and because everybody's saying, Jesus, how much longer are we there yet? And our father who is willing to send his son Jesus to die for us, the one who wants to be with us, says this phrase that often we don't like to hear, a little while longer. Someone say a little while longer. And this phrase, Jesus, Peter wants to get into our spirit. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, it says, And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, someone say a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Jesus, Peter is trying to get this idea in your spirit that our suffering compared to eternal glory pales in comparison in the little while it is. It's not going to be that long. I know that it's often hard to hear that. And it's like, man, are you, are you, are you telling me what I, what I don't want to hear? What he, Peter's really trying to say is, I know the suffering is difficult, but when you compare it to eternity, it is just a little while. And maybe you're hearing, like, Pastor Ali, do you know what my marriage is like? Come on. I don't want to hear a little while. Do you know that my boss at work is cray-cray? Do you know that my sister, I, being honest, I think she's got a demon. Come on. Can, can, can I put up for adoption? God gave me two kids. I want to dedicate them back to God. Life is difficult. Please don't give me this pat answer a little while. Can we make this practical? And I need to teach you something about God. God does not treat time the way that you and I treat time. He's on a different timetable. You are not on his timetable. He has his own timetable, which means God is never early. God is never late. God is always on time. Why? Because he exists outside of time. And if you want to get on this faith journey where you're in the back of God's car, you're going on this road trip. I know it's painful. I know it's difficult. But you need to get comfortable with this phrase, a little while. And if you continue reading 1 Peter, he, he gives you this idea. What the heck does a little while mean? First, 2 Peter chapter 2. Some of you want to be Bible nerds. Continue reading from 1 Peter to 2 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 5 says this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter is trying to get this idea in your heart that a a day to the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. What's he trying to say? Time is irrelevant to God. God does not treat time the way that you and I treat time. God views it very differently. And this is difficult for us to understand because we see suffering in the world. We see pain in the world. Today, right now, there are over 100 million people that that are being sex trafficked. It's crazy. The vast majority of them are women, girls, under the age of 13, it's like, God, how long are you going to allow this to happen? God, how long are we going to wait for you? God, our country seems to be going in turmoil. The world, there are dictators. There, there's this conflict in the Middle East that's happening right now. There, there are world disasters. There, there are people starving. How much longer? And we've been waiting for 2,000 years. God's like, 2,000 years? Bro, it's been two days. Because he treats time differently than you and I. And this phrase, I, I wouldn't spend a lot of time on it, a little while, if it was just one verse. Let me try to teach you some theology this morning. You don't create a theology around one verse. What you've got to do, for all you Bible nerds, all you people that want to grow in your theology of God, what you do, you pick a subject, and you pull all the verses out of the Bible. Why? Because Scripture Interpret scripture. You never cherry pick one verse. Let me give you an example. There are 85 verses approximately about women in leadership in the scriptures, women teaching, women being pastors, women being prophets in the scriptures. And often what people do will pick, cherry pick three verses. But often theologians, no matter what seminary you go to, they call this thing the first mentioned principle. That the first time a subject is talked about, it carries more weight than the others. The first time God talks about female leaders. Is Genesis chapter one. God says, "Let us make man in our image, and let us give them dominion to rule and reign." God had this vision, this image that Adam and Eve would lead together, rule together, it being fruitful and multiplying. And in this case, what does a little while longer mean? It's actually mentioned eleven times in the New Testament, six times by Jesus Himself. Uh, It's often repeated frequently in John chapter 15, 16, and seven. It's the last day that Jesus is alive. For those of you that are trying to understand, he's he's about to be crucified. He's about to die. Those who are new to Christianity, why do we follow Jesus? We don't follow Jesus because he's a good teacher. We follow Jesus because there are a lot of good teachers in the world. He did something other teachers didn't do. He, He came back from death. That's why we love Jesus. That's why we worship Jesus. That's why he's not just a prophet to us or a good teacher. He is God to us. And he's talking to his disciples and he's saying, guys, in a little while, I'm going to be leaving. And look what they say in John chapter 16, verse 8, sorry, verse 18. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? Listen, if you are confused by this phrase, a little while, you're in, in good company. The disciples who spent three years with Jesus, they too were confused. We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant by, when I'm, what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? Truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices you will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but you will but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Jesus is trying to teach us this twofold principle. In one sense, he's telling his disciples, I came not to give you a religion. I came to give you a relationship, but the wage of sin is death. that there, there, Someone must die for our sin because God is a father because he loves us. Listen, if my daughter needed a lung transplant or a heart transplant, I would gladly give up my life so that she can live. God is the same way. And the only way that he can handle sin and yet allow us to live is to Come and be a human being. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he became sin on a cross. And he died our death so that we could live and be forgiven. And he's saying, Guys, you're going to see me again in a little while because he's going to come back. He knows he came to die, but he knows he's going to resurrect three days later. But this is twofold meaning because in John chapter 15, 16, and 17, he says, I'm going to go back to the Father. And then in a little while, you're going to see me again. He's talking about his second coming. And this is crazy to me because you and I look at this phrase a little while, and to Jesus, it's been 2,000 years. And He's saying it's a little while. What the heck, Jesus? Come on, man. What what do you mean a little while we're gonna suffer in this vehicle, this road trip? It's been 2,000 years that we've been waiting for you. You gotta understand, Jesus is on a different timetable, He doesn't really answer the question. He does what our grandparents do when we ask him, hey, Grandpa, should I take this job or that job? And he goes, sit down, let me tell you a story. No, 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 Grandpa, give me a yes or no answer. Jesus hears this question, what do we mean by a little while? And he gives us this metaphor, this metaphor of labor that often following him on this journey of faith, it's going to be painful, it's going to have setbacks, it's going to have suffering as if you're giving birth. Let me go on a side tangent, let me just... Talk to all the men in this church. Your wife who gave birth is the real hero. You, you, no one in our church would be, we're pregnant. Bro, you didn't do anything. No, no man in the church would be like, we are having a boy. Bro, you didn't do, you, she did all the work at best. Listen, you cheered her on. Listen, if you have a husband, I'm talking to all the moms in, the, in our church for a second. If you have a husband who said, we're pregnant or we're having a boy, I give you permission as your pastor. Go to Gucci and buy a purse and on social media say, we bought a purse. It, just go do it. If he complains, tell him my pastor told me. You didn't do anything, bro. The, the women are the real heroes. And what Jesus is trying to get in your spirit is that pain, labor is painful. Labor is traumatic. I'm not speaking from firsthand experience. I, so I've heard it's painful, right? But what he's trying to say is when, when a mom, as difficult, as challenging as the labor is, the moment she holds that child, it pales in comparison to the pain. She doesn't forget the pain, but she's holding something that surpasses the pain, that is more joyful than the pain. And what Jesus is trying to get in your spirit and in my spirit is that the faith journey is painful is hard it's going to be filled with suffering and at times it's going to feel like you're giving birth it's going to be traumatic it's going to be painful and hard but when you get to the end in eternity when you hold the prize when you're in the presence of God you're not going to remember the pain all of it is going to pale in comparison to the joy of being in the presence of God That's what Jesus is trying to say. That's what he means by a little while. It may may be an entire lifetime. It may be a thousand years. It may be your whole life, but it's going to be worth it. So if you're at a job right now with a boss who is cray-cray, and you're like, if you're in a marriage right now where your boss, your spouse doesn't get it, and they're not walking with God, and you're like, if you're at a job right now where they're not paying you enough, and you're up to your neck in finances, and you're like, if you're in a calling, trying to follow Jesus, trying to do... Follow after him, try to love him, obey him, worship him, have a life that's centered around God, and it's difficult and it's challenging in Silicon Valley. You're like God is trying to get into your spirit, trying to encourage you that if you feel like life is like labor and it's painful, you are doing it right. That the pain is not an indication of the absence of God in your life. That the pain is an indication that you're following Him. That the labor pains are normal. He is trying to encourage you and. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. What's he saying? The pain that we face right now, it's going to be for a little while. A little while. But it won't compare to the promise. It won't compare to the glory that we're going to receive. And it continues in Romans chapter 8 verse 22. Now we know the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For this is the hope we were saved. but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. Come on, keep waiting. Don't give up, endure. That's what Jesus is trying to get in your spirit. I wish I had a bigger vocabulary. I wish I could say it another way. Pastor Ali, my marriage is difficult. Pastor Ali, my, my, my my finances are hard. Pastor Ali, my, my my job situation is painful and it's hard. What do you want me to do? It's a little while. The suffering will be for a little while, but if you don't give up, if you don't get out of the car, if you don't quit on faith, it's gonna be worth it. In the same way that a mom gives birth and has this joy and the pain Pales in comparison to the joy. That's what Jesus is trying to get in your spirit this morning. It reminds me of the the, the, the prophet Habakkuk, who seven hundred years before Christ, he was this prophet leading the nation of Israel, and he was upset with God. He said, "God, look at our country. It's in, it's in ruin. Every time we plant crops, we can't harvest them. Every time we do harvest them, we don't get our money. Dwindles away." Everyone is mocking us. We're, 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 we're the laughingstock of the world. Where are you, God? And Habakkuk is angry, and he's yelling at God. God, you're the God of promise. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where are you? And God shows up, and God answers. 700 years before Jesus comes, he gives Habakkuk this promise. He gives Habakkuk this, this word, and it's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. If it seems slow in coming... Habakkuk had to wait 700 years before Jesus came. Wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. 700 years is like two-thirds of a day to Jesus. A little while longer. Jesus is trying to get this thought into your spirit. Suffering is temporary. Suffering is is nothing in comparison to the eternal glory that we will have in Jesus. Sometimes the best way I can explain it is following Jesus on this faith journey. Is like getting in a car with your dad. And going on a road trip. I know it's painful. I know it's hard. I know you feel cramped. I know you're suffering a little bit. And you want to get out. And you're like, Dad, when are we going to be there? And your dad who loves you. Who loves you enough to die for you. Is saying, a little while longer. A little while longer. I need to get this thought for the last seven weeks in your spirit. That life is not always about conquering. It's simply about enduring. That's what we've been talking about for the last eight weeks in this collection of talks that peter in chapter one of this book is trying to tell us about this living hope remember we talked about living hope in week chapter one now he's talking about suffering it's just gonna be for a little while and then peter's gonna transition he's gonna talk about a, that on this journey of a little while suffering a little while there's a loud adversary who wants to get you off the car out of the van in the same way that i was on this road trip with my parents I had an adversary. She was my sister. She was ugly. She was smelly. She was hairy. I didn't want to be next to her. She would breathe my oxygen. She'd play with my toys. And she drove me insane. Uh, In the same way, there is someone following you on this faith journey. And he's an adversary. So we got a little suffering. Someone say a little suffering. We got a loud adversary. Little suffering, loud. I almost titled this sermon, Little Suffering, Loud Loud Adversary. But there are some things that Peter wants to get in your spirit as you go on this faith journey with Jesus. Starting in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be self-controlled and alert. Someone say, alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. I want to put three things in your spirit this morning that Peter wants to give you on this faith journey. There's a little suffering, but you got a loud adversary. And the first thing about this loud adversary, you've got to realize, number one is be alert. Be alert. Often we, we look at the, the world through Western eyes, that, that everything that we see is physical, that we forget, and often we're unaware, we're naive to the spiritual world. The spiritual world is more real than the physical world. Why? Because God existed before time, before the universe. God is spirit, and he created the material world, which means the, the spiritual world is more real than the physical world. And often we come to faith not realizing that there is an enemy. Like the devil's not trying to punk you. He's not trying to prank you. He's trying to kill you and trying to derail you. He's like a lion looking for someone to devour. Which means if you're a friend of God, you're an enemy of Satan. That the moment you say, I love Jesus, Satan hates you. And often Christians are just naive. And they think, the moment I accept Christ, I'm going to have no temptations. Life's going to be easy. I'm going to get married. I have two and a half kids. I have a white picket fence. Two and a half kids as in, as in the perfect life. And it's different. Life becomes harder when you become a Christian. Life does not become easier. Why, Pastor Ali? Because now you're putting on a jersey and the back of your jersey says team Jesus. And there's an enemy who wants to destroy you. Listen, most people don't realize this. Satan is not up in the club. Satan is not at the strip club. Satan is not with those who are doing drugs. He's at church trying to get Christians to leave God because he hates those who are his children. And he's looking for someone to devour. That cross-reference First Peter with Job. Job in chapter 1, Satan enters the presence of God. And God says, what were you doing, Satan? And Satan goes, I was prowling around looking for someone to devour. Satan, if I can speak to the techies for a moment, he's an infinite while loop with no break statement. He never sleeps. He never stops. He never takes a Sabbath. When you're sleeping, he's watching you. He knows what hooks you have. He knows your struggles. He knows if you have lust issues. He knows if you have anger issues. He knows you don't get along with your mom. He knows that you don't get along with your boss. And he's looking for a moment to devour you. And all of us have felt the pain and the anguish of sin. Sin has devoured our joy. Sin has devoured some of our lives. Sin has devoured our our families sometimes. You don't play with sin. Sin will kill you if you're not alert over 10 years ago, I, uh, I needed shoulder surgery. And let me kind of just give you a background. I, I grew up in an era where there are only three sports, football, basketball, baseball, everything else, soccer, hockey, those are communist sports. If you, you like soccer, we love you at Center Set, you're, those are communist sports. And often the people who, who ran and played tennis and golf, those were people who couldn't play the real sports. So Now I have the shoulder injury. Now I can't play basketball. Now I can't play football. Now I can't play baseball. I, I gotta go running. So my, my competitive, what did I do? I signed up for a marathon with 10 weeks of training. So every Saturday I go to this park in Cupertino called Rancho San Antonio. Maybe you've heard of it. It's this open space reserve. It's this park with tons of trails. And one Saturday morning, I'm there early and there's this sign, this A-frame as you enter the trails, warning, tiger mountain lion alert that someone the day before had saw a mountain lion. And were, there was even the rangers were there, and they were warning all these people. And there was, there was just this buzz at the park. People at the water fountain, people in the bathroom, people running along the trails. Everyone, you, oh my gosh, you hear about the mountain lion? And, and pe- no one was like, I want to take a selfie with the mountain lion. No one's like, how close can I get to the mountain lion and like pet it? Yeah, I wonder if like I, I can get close and like take a selfie with this thing. No one said that. Yeah, I've been pastoring for 10 years. That's how people talk about sin. How far can I go with my girlfriend before you know it gets dangerous? How how, how many times can I go to the club and like drink and be with my friends before like you know like uh, I hurt myself? Like, can I take a selfie with the Satan? Can can I can I get close to darkness and not have it devour me? I'm like, bro, were you dropped on your head as a little kid? Are you kidding me? No one wants to hang out with a mountain lion. Why would you want to play with sin? See, Satan knows your struggle. He knows that it's a lust issue, and like. A fisherman going after fish, he will put the bait on a hook for you. And he will use a different hook for me and a different hook for your neighbor. Why? Because if you are not alert, if you're not cautious, if you're not aware, if you're naive and play with sin, his goal is to kill you. Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Eskimos, you know how they kill wolves? They'll take a blade and they'll dip it in blood. And they'll keep dipping in blood and eventually the the blade, the sharp end, will be covered in blood. And they'll take that knife, this blade, and they'll put it under the snow. That wolves can smell the blood from miles away. They'll come and they'll begin licking the blood off the blade, not knowing. And because their tongue is frozen, eventually they'll lick the blood off, but then their tongue gets cut. And without knowing it, they're drinking their own blood until they die. That's what Satan wants to do with you. I'm not trying to say this to scare you. I'm not trying to say this to like make you terrified. But you don't play with sin. You run from sin. In the same way that I was at Rancho and people were terrified of a mountain lion. You need to be alert. Satan can't hurt you, but he wants to kill you spiritually. Sin is just a tool he wants to get to hook you and get you addicted and broken, to ruin and destroy your faith. And when you're not alert, man, there are story after story in the scriptures of people who, did, who were not alert and it ruined their faith. David was not alert. When, in the time when kings go to war, David stayed home and he lusted with his eyes and committed adultery. Samson, he had a lust problem. He thought he could manage his sin. Listen, either you kill sin or sin will kill you. There's too many guys at Centerset are managing their porn problem. I only look once a month, Pastor. I have it under control. You do not have it under control, bro. It's either killing you or you are killing it. Samson could not manage his sin and his sin caused him to lose his eyesight and eventually his life. And also I'm not saying these things to scare you, but you need to be alert. You have an enemy who wants to kill you. Number 2, resist him. Resist him. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 9 says resist him, standing firm in the faith. You need to realize, you need to resist the devil. You need to resist his temptations. You need to resist your flesh. This is not a passive, I'm going to sit back and You need to actively, the way you're going to the gym and you're getting resistance with muscles, with weights, you need to resist the devil with your faith. And often, because we're a, a new church that's trying to reach unchurched people, like two-thirds of our church got saved in our church. And I hear this phrase all the time, Pastor Ali, I'm I'm struggling with sin. Let me just like call time out and call a bunch of people out. I'm going to make a bunch of people upset. That's cool. Let me tell you, Christianity is not about a religion of morality. God does not come to make good people, bad people, good. See, when I was a Muslim, it was all about the outward appearance. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't have sex, don't, don't drink alcohol. But the inside, the motives of your heart, you wanted to do those things, but you didn't do them. Christianity is not an outside in. It's an inside out. He transforms you by giving you a new heart, new desire. I never cared about reading my Bible until I became a Christian. I never cared about Christian community until I became a Christian. But when I placed my faith in Jesus, when he gave me a new heart, when he made me born again, now I had new desires. And those things that I was, I could never break my porn addiction before. I could never give up alcohol. Why? Because I was in bondage to sin. I was a slave to sin. But the moment I became a Christian, the chain breaker came into my life and he set me free. I don't, struggle with sin. I willfully sin. And and sometimes we need to define uh, this idea. Are you choosing to sin or are you struggling to walk in faith? And this, the key word is resistance. Listen, no one took your pants off, bro. You took them off. No one lit that joint. You lit the joint. You didn't type in Yahoo in the web browser. You typed in Pornhub. You are choosing to go there, even though Jesus set you free. Now, this does not mean that we don't sin. We don't become sinless. The righteous man falls down seven times, but he gets back up. There are new mercies. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you got to get this. It's an inward attitude. For example, if I go to a farm and there's a pig in a pit and a sheep in a pig, when when they're both screaming for help, you pull the pig out, you wash it, it goes, thank you, it will jump right back into the pit. Why? Because it's a choice. The sheep, though, it will cry out. You will pull it out, wash it. It will know, I I need to avoid this area. My master got me out. He helped me. And he will avoid that. Doesn't mean he won't fall in again, because he may. The righteous man falls down seven times, but he gets back up. But it's a heart motivation. Are you resisting? Are you pushing back? So many Christians get this idea. Are you that I'm struggling bro you're choosing to willfully sin you're living with your boyfriend you're going out and drinking with your friends and why would you put yourself in an environment where you don't have the strength right now to say no it's not a struggle it's a choice and what Jesus is trying to get into your spirit is that you don't you're not just need to be aware that Satan's there you need to actively resist him and I love this phrase he says resist him Standing firm in the... Does it say your willpower? Does it say your strength? So says standing firm in the faith. That's what Jesus is trying to get into your spirit. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that's going to sustain you. Just because you know the Ten Commandments doesn't mean you can obey them. You need God's help. And often what you don't realize is that Satan is like a lion real lions they bite your flesh and they eat you this lion though the the devourer the the satan he roars which means his weapon of warfare is lies and accusations if i can make this as practical as i can satan wants to have a bible study with you that's how you resist him by knowing your scripture jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free too many christians have the truth they have three of these on their shelf Having these in your home will not help you. You need to have this in your heart. It's knowing the truth, believing the truth, applying the truth. That's when it helps you. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes to Eve. You know what he says? He doesn't say, eat this fruit. He said, did God really say he want to have a Bible study with Adam and Eve? And they could not resist Satan because they didn't know their scripture enough. In, in the second Adam, Jesus, what does Satan do to him? Jesus, Satan comes to Jesus and has another Bible. If you're really the son of God, strike these rocks and make them food. If you're really the son of God, jump off the temple and let God catch you. If you're really the son of God, bow down to me and I'll give you all the kings in the world. And Jesus did not pull a sword out and say, let's go to battle. He didn't pull a gun out. Every time he resisted with scripture, he resisted not in his willpower and his strength, but he resisted him standing firm in the faith. And the way that Jesus resisted Satan is the way that you and I do. When Satan comes to you, listen, and he says, that God can never use you, that the mistakes in your life are so great, say, that is not true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When Jesus comes to you and says lies, that you will always be stuck, you will always be in sin, you will always be in the valley, say, that's not true. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for your rod and your staff that comfort me. When Satan wants to come to you and say, you're not a Christian. I can't believe you did that sin. Oh my God, you should be ashamed. Don't go to church. You can lie, you can respond back anyone who calls on the name of Jesus is saved and they should be called the sons and daughters of God. When Satan comes to you and says, you're a nobody, you're not special, your parents had you by accident, you could tell Satan, no, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew me before I was in my mother's womb and every day of my life was ordained in the book of life before one day came to pass. You resist Satan, not based on your strength, but you stand firm in the faith. It's by resisting him with scripture. Do you know your scripture? That's the only way you can combat the author of lies, the one who wants to accuse you. You don't push him out of your house. Jesus said in the prayer in Matthew chapter 7, how do you pray to the Father? You pray for blessings, we pray for forgiveness, but we also pray against the enemy, his schemes to lead us not into temptation because he's going to come. Are you aware that he's coming? And you don't resist based on your strength. You resist him in the faith. Number three, if you're taking notes, you need to remember you need to remember first Peter chapter 5 verse 8 because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering see what Satan wants you to realize you want what he wants to isolate you he wants to make you feel like your marriage is the only marriage in the church that's broken he wants to make you feel like you're the only Christian man in the church who struggles with porn he wants to make you feel like the only woman in church who has self-conscious body issues. He wants to make you feel like you're the only one who has anger problems, and he wants to isolate you. He wants to make you feel like you're alone. And what Peter's saying is, no, 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 no. You ain't the first and you ain't the last. There are brothers around the world who are going through the same kind of suffering. And this is the power of community. Community gives you two things, protection, and it gives you healing. If you ever watch the Discovery Channel, how do lions, herds of lions, how do they attack gazelles? They don't go after the herd. They seclude the one, the older one who's alone, the child who's alone, because they can, the five on one. This is what Satan wants to do. He wants you to get tired of the pain, get tired of the faith journey, and for you to get out of the car that Jesus is driving. I don't want to do this anymore. He wants to be isolated. Why? Because when you're alone, that's when he attacks. Oh, my marriage will never change. And there's no one to pray for you. I'm always going to be stuck in this addiction. And there's no one to say that you can be free. I'm always going to have this terrible job around this terrible family. My life will always be the same. And there's no one to encourage you, to pray for you, to bless you. It's often when you're alone. In the same way in in nature, that's when Satan attacks the most. But also for healing when you confess your sin to god listen to me you receive salvation but when you confess your sin to one another james chapter 5 verse 16 you are healed there's a healing that when you confess your sin i need help guys my marriage is difficult there's a healing that comes that you cannot be a christian in isolation you need to remember you're not the only one and there's power in community remember i had to learn this the hard way This last year was one of the most challenging years I've ever had, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian. Man, I I thought our church was going to die in August. I thought that we would close the doors. We had 14 of our top 30 givers move away in September. We had 40 families leave Center set. they just moved to other parts of the country and i felt like god is our church going to even be alive we haven't gathered in nine months we haven't gathered in 10 months and i felt like if we don't gather our church is going to die if we don't gather people won't serve if we don't gather people won't give if we don't gather the church is going to die and god had to remind me that wanted to isolate me to make me feel like i'm the only one and then i began calling other pastors in the bay area you know every p- church in this in in silicon valley has seen a 70 percent dip in attendance Everyone has seen attendance drop. I thought I was the only one. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to make you feel like you're the only one going through pain. You're the only one with those marriage problems. You're the only one with that illness. You're the only one with financial issues, and you're not alone. And I just had to remind myself that the church in China under persecution, man, if there's persecution in America, the church in China is exploding. The church in the Republic of Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. They have no buildings. They have no 501c3 status. It is illegal to own a Bible, yet the gospel is growing. The gospel still works, and it is powerful. If I stood on a highway and a diesel truck going 100 miles an hour to hit me, the diesel, the power of the gospel is stronger is stronger than a diesel truck and i need to be reminded often we forget the power of god in isolation and there is one who is like a lion you know why the bible says he's like a lion because the devil doesn't have teeth when jesus died on the cross he did not just defeat death and sin he took the keys of hell from satan he defeated the power. When I was, before I was a Christian, I could not give up my porn addiction. I could not give up alcohol. Cause I was in chains. I was in bondage. I was a slave to sin, but the savior of my soul came and broke those chains. And now I'm free. And now the devil who had teeth before, he's a toothless lion. All he's got is lies. All he's got is r- roaring, but he's got no bite. And you gotta remember, there's one who really is a lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You can build your life on him. When the world fails you, you can build your life on Jesus. When the president fails you, you can build your life on Jesus. When an elephant and a donkey fail you, you can build your life on a lion who will never fail you. And he's the one driving the car. And I know life following Jesus often feels like you're on a road trip. And it's difficult, and it's painful, and the one who died for you is saying, "In a little while, don't give up, don't quit, endure. When you finally get the prize, it's going to feel like you're giving birth. And there's a little suffering. Someone say little suffering, but then there's a loud, say, loud adversary. Someone say loud adversary who wants to derail you on this journey. Don't quit, church. Don't give up. Let's pray." God, thank you so much for this word that was given to us 2,000 years ago. All scripture is God-breathed. God, you gave this word through the Apostle Peter to a church that was being persecuted. God, we are a church right now that is coming out of a year of being in COVID. It is difficult. It is challenging. It is hard. Our marriages have suffered. Our finances have suffered. Our faith has suffered. And there are so many people that are discouraged that their faith is suffering. Teach them, God, through this word that life is not about conquering sometimes. It's simply about enduring. I want to speak to all of you at home who are visiting our church for the very first time and maybe you're wondering, how do I become a Christian? What do I got to do? I remember coming to church for the very first time 15 years ago thinking that the same very thing. What is it I got to do? Let me just encourage you. Everything that you needed to do is already done. Jesus did all the work on the cross for us. So what I gotta do, Pastor Ali, simply to believe in Jesus, place your faith that Jesus really is God, that He really lived a sinless and perfect life, that He really did die on the cross for your sin, that He resurrected three days later, paying your penalty of sin. And all you gotta do to receive salvation is not to join a religion, not to join a church, but to enter into a relationship with the Father who wants to get you into His car wants to take you on a faith journey. It's going to be hard, though. He's going to tell you on this faith journey a little while longer and you get to be with Him. That's you this morning. You feel this tug on your heart and you want to enter a relationship with Jesus. I would love to pray for you this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, thank you so much that your gospel still works, that you're still transforming people, that you're still saving people, that there are people at the other end of this sermon, God, that are feeling this urge to become a Christian. And they want to place their faith in you would they confess would they believe in their heart confess with their mouth i believe in you jesus thank you for salvation thank you for dying for me i receive your gift would you enter my heart holy spirit would my body now become the temple of god i want to walk with you i want to follow you all the days of my life. If that was you this morning, believe me when I say this, we got a gift for you. We got a, a Bible we want to give you and a book called Following Jesus that will help you on this faith journey. If that was you this morning and you want to let us know, text the word Jesus one word, to, to this number 97000. There's someone on the other end of that text message that want to help you take your next step or maybe you have a computer in front of you. Go to centerset.ca connect. Fill up the, the box that says I accepted Jesus today. Listen, we want nothing from you. Believe when I say this, we have a gift for you. Church, I love you. Can't wait to see you in person at 5 o'clock if you want to be with us. We are church online 10 a.m. in the morning on YouTube, 5 o'clock in person. Let me pray quickly before you leave. God, thank you so much for this church. That you, We are the most unchurched region in the entire country. That God, we want to bring our tithes and our offerings to you, Lord, right now. Thank you, Lord, that as a church, we've given away over $8,000 some of it to A21, some of it to church planning, some of it to Foster the Bay. God, we want to be a generous church because, God, you are a generous God. God, we use our tithes and offerings to make your name known. I want to speak for a moment to those of you that call centers at your church home. And maybe every week you come and you give maybe irregularly because maybe you watch once a month or maybe you come in person every once in a while. I want to challenge you to go from irregular giving to consistent giving. And that every time that you get paid, that you want to honor God in your heart for what he did for you. That he gave you life, he gave you breath. That we don't give our tithes and offerings because we want to be loved and we want to be accepted by God. We do it as as a way of saying, God, I just want to say thank you. God, you've done so much in my life. There's no other way I can repay you. This is not to earn your love. This is because I already have it. If I can challenge some of you who've never given to give for the very first time. Those of you that maybe have given once or twice, maybe to, to consider giving reoccurring giving. For those of you that have reoccurring giving on, maybe is that you've been stagnant for a season. Maybe, maybe you, you've just turned it off and you, it's on autopilot. And God doesn't want us to be stagnant. He wants us to grow. For those of you that maybe are, are already tithing, God wants us to give above and beyond the tithe through our tithes and offerings. No matter who you are on this faith journey, can you grow in generosity? Because it will expand your heart for God. Let's pray. Thank you so much, God, that we have the opportunity to give, to build your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. There are so many people in Silicon Valley, 98% unchurched. Would you use this church center set to reach more of your church, more of your unreached children who need to come home, who need to be in relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can't wait to see you again, church.